0: or get help with anything else, and a lot more. If you're interested in joining the community, buying some merch, sponsoring the show, or signing up for the newsletter, please go to buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have Julie Broad. She's the founder at Book Launchers. Julie, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks
1: so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you guys are doing at Book Launchers is actually really interesting and, and innovative, but mo- maybe before we get into all that fun stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I grew up somewhere where pretty much nobody's going to know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, that's great.
1: It's a tiny little town in rural Alberta. If you looked on a map, it's right in between Calgary and Medicine Hat. Um, but, sure. Yeah, so I, I grew up in a town where they – the joke was, you know, the population sign said 2,100 people, but everybody said that included the cows and probably the chicken. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but that's but – I, but I think that in itself, like, some people – think that just because they grew up in a small town they don't have you know the opportunities to actually you know create something or build their business or move to america like there's a million (laughs) right like i think i I think sometimes people get kind of trapped in in that and i think you know some people are happy staying in a small town some people want to move out of it and you know you've obviously kind of moved around a bunch um but uh you went to university what did you take and why
1: (laughs) So that's actually kind of funny because I went to university and took business school. Um, but growing up, I was always drawn to writing, but people always said, Oh, writers don't make any money. So of course I I went into business.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) So was there something though that, that other than that, was there like something that got you interested in business or you were like, I should probably just get a business degree?
1: Well, I, I always liked, I always kind of saw myself in the future as running my own business. Uh, my, parents, gotcha. my parents ran a small motel on the side of the highway. Uh, if okay. anybody's ever seen the Vin Diesel movie uh, Knockaround knock around guys, I think is what it's called. That's actually filmed in my parents' motel. Um, That's cool. Yeah. So you could kind of see what what that was like. So, so they always ran their own business. So I guess in my head, I always kind of figured I would would eventually do that. So, so business school made sense from that regard. Um, But the funny part is, you know, I went back to school and did an MBA. So business school wasn't enough. I went and did a master's in business too, but I took finance and uh, real estate. And and, again, the furthest things away from being a writer that you
0: could possibly be (laughs) sure well but i think and when once we get kind of get into book launchers i think like yes you can go to school to be a writer obviously but i think anybody can become a writer right and doesn't mean you're necessarily the greatest at it you could put your your own books and and kind of publish content online and i encourage people to do that so i I think it's interesting right so What made you kind of want to go into kind of real estate and finance?
1: Uh, Money, really, truly. Like I was driven by, you know, what can I do to create more financial security and options in my life. Um, and it was it was driven by the desire initially to make six figures. For some reason, I got this in my head that I had to have a six-figure salary. And so, sure. you know, the MBA was the fastest way to get there. And everybody always told you to work on your weaknesses. And, and I heard this a lot, you know, work, your, work on your weaknesses. And, and anything kind of writing related came naturally. And anything I had to memorize was really easy for me. But math and accounting and finance was, painful. So I was like, well, I got to get better at this. So <laughs> that's
0: what I did. Interesting. So
1: I hated, I hated my MBA because I took courses that I did not like. And I, you know, I really had to struggle through them all. Um, wow. it wasn't, it was not an ideal thing to do. Uh, but it, you know, it does provide a basis for a lot of the books that we're working on at book launchers work. Cause a lot of financial planners, a lot of real estate people <laughs> are writing books sure. and they should be, uh, it's good for their business. So I have a really solid foundation when I'm looking at their book. Um, so that part it's worked out really well
0: (laughs) no that's that's interesting so I'm curious now that you've been through the MBA and you've kind of been doing your own thing for a number of years do you agree with that advice, where you should work on your weaknesses, or should have you focus more on your strengths and just got better at that?
1: Yeah, I, I honestly, you know, I have a, a new son, and I look at him, and I'm like, I, I, I hope he always pursues the things he's good at and just becomes the best in the world at them. And and I sure. and I really think that that's the best approach because you can hire people who are phenomenal exactly. at something else, and you just be the best at what you're really good at and what you love to do. And I think that sets you up for a much happier and more successful life.
0: No, I a hundred percent agree. And I, I, yeah, I, I think that's always kind of, I've heard that too from people and it's just like, that's never really made sense to me. Uh, It's, it's almost the same to me as like, I am not a morning person. So when somebody's like the five things you should do every morning and I'm like, that's not me. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, I can't physically change that. Like I always find those kind of things that are counterintuitive to how I am always a challenge to actually adopt and I just kind of like forget about it right so it's interesting to have other people that have kind of been through it you know say kind of the same thing that they, they wish that they maybe would have just followed what they were good at so I think that's interesting but uh walk me through you get out of school you've done a bunch of stuff walk me through your career kind of up until book launchers.
1: Yeah. So when I graduated uh, from my well, first of all, when I graduated from undergrad, I took a job with Kimberly Clark Canada uh, selling Huggies and Kotex and Kleenex and all, all that okay. fun stuff. Interesting. And, and a few months into it, you know, it was actually a really, really fun place to work at the time. There was lots of sales meetings. There was lots of, you know, just lots of fun. And really, it was really, really fun. But I just kept thinking it's really going to be a long life of working for somebody else. And, sure. and one of my coworkers mentioned rich dad, poor dad, that, that her daughter had read it and, and okay. really loved it. So I I drove to the bookstore after work because that's what you had to do in the early 2000s.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> up, I remember those days.
1: Yeah, exactly. I picked up a copy of the book and and yeah. read it and I was like, oh, this is a whole new way of looking at things. And, and really the biggest takeaway for me was that I didn't want to have to work hard for my money all the time. I wanted my money working hard for me. And, and, sure. and that got me into real estate investing um, really literally overnight. I dove in and I bought every book imaginable on real estate and multiple streams of income and all these kind of things uh, to figure out, okay, what can I do to make money while I'm sleeping basically was my goal. And, sure. and, and, and that got me into real estate. Which is also okay. part of the reason why when I went back to school, because that was a side gig, right? This was this was a side, sure. this was a Plan B. Uh, I was still getting my sick, I was still going for that six-figure salary. So that's part of the reason why it was real estate and finance when I went back for my MBA, uh, because I really I did like real estate a lot. I liked I liked the prospect of it, so I wanted to study it further. So uh, that's why I took it um, into my MBA. So the MBA was, you know, like I said, torture. Did not like it. And the real estate <laughs> that I did in the MBA was, you know, analyze gigantic development projects versus the single family home that I was buying, renovating and adding a suite to.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Okay. You know,
1: there's a ginormous disconnect between what I wanted to be doing and what I was studying, which is also why I didn't like it. I, I didn't, didn't see how I was going to use this. Um, I also thought the financial analysis that you did was really ridiculous because you're, you're picking a whole bunch of factors that you think could happen and guessing like, okay, that could increase the price by this and this could change the value of this. And like, you're really just guessing. And so I, I, I didn't care for any of that stuff. Um, Interesting. But fast forward. So that real estate investing that I started in 2001, it was always going on. And at some years, um, I partnered with my boyfriend at the time Um, and, uh, we ended up both liking it and going for it. And so over the course of the next eight years, I think we bought 12 or 14 properties and, and it kind of led to the point where when I was sitting in my job, I I reached that six figure salary and I kind of went, Oh, that's it. This is this is this is what I've been working so. Hard for.
0: Interesting, sure.
1: And and I was just a, I I sat there for a year in this job. I got I got promoted to vice president. You know I had I had a pretty good gig, and I was like, okay, great. You know I'm I'm in my 20s, and and this is this is what it's gonna be.
0: <laughs> sure. No, interesting. So when you started though doing real estate investing on the side, did you? Self fund, or how did you kind of buy these actual properties?
1: Yeah, so the first property I had money set aside because I had planned to go back to do my MBA. Um, when I graduated from undergrad, I lived, I kept living like a student. And so okay. I was one of those really frugal people who I didn't have a bed. I slept on a mattress on the floor. I didn't have okay. furniture. Uh, you know, I really did live like a student until my debt was paid off and I had some money in the bank. Interesting. Um, so I had about $16,000 saved that I was going to use for my MBA. Uh, and I ended up putting that towards. Towards my first property. And then, like I said, I partnered with my boyfriend who had $7,000, and we put that towards the second property. Uh, gotcha. and, and that was how we got the first two. But after that, we were out of money and I was a student and couldn't qualify for financing. So that's when we got creative, which which really leads beautifully into, you know, kind of where I am today because we got creative, um, which means we bought other people's problems. You know, the people who would give us their deals for no money down or, or would, would uh, finance the property, they're people who want to get rid of their properties and, sure. and they want to get rid of them for a very good reason. So we ended up buying a lot of places that caused us gigantic problems and we bought them all over Canada so we ended up with properties in six different cities in the country uh, wow. two different provinces uh, it was a mess and and while we made money on almost all of them there's only one that we lost money on it, you know emotionally we were a disaster uh, okay it, Interesting. It was just it was not fun uh, and a lot of those stories led to me writing my first book. Um, okay. And that's, you know, kind of the start of getting into, into book launchers because one of, one of the properties that we bought uh, became a known crack house. And, okay, you know, wow. Yeah, and it became a known crack house because the property manager that managed it was pretty much the only guy in the city of Niagara, Niagara Falls that would manage this property because it okay. was in a bad street. And, uh, and he, <laughs> he got into a fight with a tenant one night, punched the tenant, the tenant fell oh, to the wow. ground, and the tenant died in the hospital. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it was it was horrible. He you know, and our property manager got charged with manslaughter, um, and then was put under house arrest. Well, now nobody would touch our property for sure. So he was the only guy that would manage it. And he was managing it while dealing with the fact that he had, you know, not intentionally, but he had killed someone. Um, and everything just spiraled from there. And yeah, it became a drug den. And uh, wow!
0: <laughs> so, so how did that put strain on kind of your relationship? Cause I think sometimes like some people say never work with kind of, you know, your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife or, or kind of significant other or like your friend. How did that kind of relationship uh, succeed or suffer?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that were actually going on, but th- this one was kind of that that, you know, the feather that goes on that breaks everything. Um because the tenants, so the tenants in the property somehow got a hold of our home number and they oh, started wow. calling us because there was lots of work that wasn't getting fixed and like there was just all kinds of problems. So they started calling us at all hours. Um we ended up with a fire code violation uh that, you know, cuz the police always got called to site. And then the fire code, the fireman went in there and did an inspection. And if they inspect any property, they're going to find violations. Um, sure. But in this particular property, there was a lot. We didn't get the first notice the second, but then the second notice is an immediate um, court date. And so uh. we had no opportunity to fix it. So wherever that first notice is, we don't know. Um, we can't prove that we didn't get it. And then we had to go to court. And basically we had to go to court and plead guilty to these fire code violations because you know, they were there and we never got the, First, notice. So, uh, yeah, things just really spiraled. And this is all going on while we have properties all over the place. And, you know, anybody who's ever owned properties knows that everything will be fine for six months. And then every single property has something wrong all at once. And that's just how it goes. And so, you know, all this is happening while, you know, the furnace is going somewhere else and the pipes are breaking somewhere else. And, yeah, you know, that kind of pressure on anybody
0: (laughs) yeah no fair enough yep
1: it's pretty tough
0: (laughs) sure i can imagine wow that sounds yeah interesting it's not as i I think the thing is like i've had just even friends is like we should like buy a condo and then like renovate a little bit and flip it i'm like no i'm not interested at all because like to exactly what you just said it's like i just don't i am just not the type of person to handle that like (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, which is why I wrote my first book. My first book um, was called More Than Cash Flow, and I wrote it okay. because I found I, I met so many people that got into real estate because everybody was talking about all the money that you could make. and, yeah. and it truly is a wonderful vehicle if you're ready for it mentally and you know you're the kind of person that can handle it. Um, but so many people think it's passive income and passive means you can kick back and do nothing. And even if yep. you hire a property manager, we had property managers still rent money from us and we had no idea. And, and so these kind of things, I was like, you need to know all this before you get in. And some of you are gonna read this book and not want to invest in real estate and that's good. Um, because those of you who do will know what you're in for and so when these horrible things happen all at once, because that's just the way it always seems to happen, you're ready.
0: Interesting. So what made you decide to write the book?
1: Well, I've always wanted to write a book. Like this is going back to when I was a kid, right? I was like, I always want to write a book. Um, but I started to build a profile in Canada and, and, uh, publishers actually were contacting me. And so I ended up in conversations with Wiley going back and forth and they actually said, Oh, this book idea it's, you know, we've already done generic real estate books. It's, you know, we don't need another one on the market. Okay. So I said, Interesting. okay. And so then they said, well, but you know, we're interested in working with you. So we went back and forth on some ideas and they ended up like kind of honing in on real estate investing for couples. Cause my husband, uh, he's now my husband. Um, but my okay. boyfriend and I at the time had been doing all this investing um, and he was, we were married at the time too. Um, but he, and they said, why don't you do this book? And I was like, eh, like, it doesn't sound very fun, but whatever, you know, book deal. So I was <laughs>
0: okay. yeah, yeah, excited sure. about
1: it. In the end though, they said that I didn't have a strong enough marketing platform to sell books. And so they turned me down after three months of back and forth, they actually ended up saying, no, sorry.
0: Um, okay. Interesting. And
1: it was kind of the way, the way publishing works in Canada. Your only real option at that point is to go through a New York publishing house for the kind of book I wanted to write. And they're not going to be interested in publishing a real estate Canadian real estate book. So I kind of was forced into the self-publishing path, um, which, you know, took a little while for my ego to get over because I kind of felt like, like, you know, f- nobody's going to care if I like, if you self-publish, like, it feels like nobody validated you. So, you know, it's not, a, not good enough. That's kind of how I felt. Um, sure. And so I, but I self-published and, and the, the best part of this story to me is that I, my book went to number one overall on Amazon. So it was ahead wow, of congrats.
0: me. congrats. That's huge, <laughs> Thank actually. You.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Like so, that's a
0: huge deal, yeah,
1: I mean, it was Wiley saying I can't sell books, and then I crushed any real estate book they've ever published by going down one overall, so that was pretty fun did
0: <laughs> did. did- I'm assuming they, they knew that that happened. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. They knew I, I had conversations with a couple of the people a few years later when I was working on my second book and you know, they said, congratulations on all your success. They were, you know, very nice about it. Um, sure. but yeah, at that point I'm like, why would I ever go with a traditional publisher? Because they're not, they're not going to do what I did. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> fair. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So walk me through your journey of saying, okay, you have the successful book. Um, How did you actually get it to become successful?
1: Yeah. So that's the, that's the funny part is, is, well, first of all, I was really committed to this book and I think that a lot of people publish books and don't realize, even if they get a book deal, they don't realize all the work they have to do to get it out there. Um, you know, it's a lot of work to write the book, but it's actually more work to get the book out there. And so you really have to mentally commit yourself to it. And and I was committed. I was like, you know what, if I'm doing this, I'm going to make it better than a traditionally published book. So I invested over $12,000 into making my book. Awesome. Um, you know, as good as it would be if it was traditionally published. And then I I contacted every single person I knew and tried to find a way to, to work together to get the word out. And that's why my book went to number one is because there was a couple of key people who really loved my book and loved my message. And they had really, really big audiences of Real estate investors and people who were interested in real estate. So they had the same audience as what my book was targeted towards. And they loved the fact that I wasn't just going, hey, here's how you get rich in real estate. I'm going, hey, here's all the great things about real estate if you can get there, like if, if this is going to be something you want to do when you know what you're in for, then here's how you can do it. Um, and they loved it. And so I had a few key people promote it and really get behind it and really help me with that launch week. And, and I got it to the top 100 with, with kind of my circle. And then they just, they pushed it so hard. It went to number one.
0: Interesting. No, I I think that's really good advice. I I think that's the, the thing kind of with anything in life that, um, it's not always like, you always hear about the, per- the one person that like creates something and like they automatically become like an instant millionaire. And like it happens so, so rarely. Like most people work their ass off to be super successful, right? Or like the one thing that finally breaks for them, it took them so much effort. And nobody kind of talks about that, right? Or not a lot of people talk about it, I should say.
1: Yeah, and but here's the funny thing too. So so I mean, my book did phenomenal, and it was in the top 100 for 45 days. But there's a part of me that like kind of expected more to happen after that. So you know, like I don't think I didn't really think Oprah was gonna call or anything. But you know, sure,
0: you were hoping.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but but I kind of thought like a lot more things and great things did happen. You know, I actually got, I actually had a lot of TV studios contacting me to, you know, can we make a real estate book or a real estate TV show? Cause those are so hot, right? You know, all the fix and flip type things. So I had three different production companies, you know, talking to me about, about different shows. And so I did have some pretty cool things happen, but yeah, there was kind of like when it was, when it did so well, you know, you kind of feel like something even bigger is about to
0: happen. No fair. (laughs) No, I a hundred percent agree. And I also think, and tell me if you felt the same way Is like, if, if nothing good or bad happens in like a week or a month or or something like that, you're almost let down that like nothing great happened. And you're like, but nothing bad happened and things are good, (laughs) but like, you're always chasing that kind of like high again. Right.
1: It's so true. And then even like, and so then the other thing is too, uh, and I mean, we're totally off where we were going. But the other thing no, to it's... realize is, is so then I am start writing my second book, and I'm like, oh my god, like it's never gonna do as good as that first book. And should I even bother sure. if I'm not gonna do as good as that first? Like it's almost like when you achieve some level of success, it almost it almost hurts you in a way.
0: Yeah, there's only one way to go when you when you've hit the top. <laughs> you can only go down. Like yeah, I, no, it's fair.
1: <laughs> but you know, at the same time, I I kind of talked myself you know through it and said, you know what, like. You know, I want to write this next book. It won't, you know, because it was luck. Like I, I couldn't, I would never promise anybody that I could get you to number one because you have no there's so many things that that didn't happen that week for it to work out right like no other big blockbuster book was launching the same week as my book and you know imagine if you're competing with a tim ferris or um the next Game of thrones book or you know a a hobbit or whatever you know whatever one of these (laughs)
0: things you're not gonna
1: hit number one because you just can't compete with something that is such a mass market um, item and so you have to you know you have to know that there is some luck involved in things like that and so you know i finally just said look, like I've got a reason for writing this book, I'm going to focus on that goal and not worry about, you know, those, those things that feel great, but they're not actually the end game. And so I think for anybody who kind of sits there and goes, well, I don't know if I'll be a bestseller or I don't know if I'll, you know, my company will, will ever be on the top 100 fastest growing companies. Well, those things don't really matter. Like, what is the most important goal for you to achieve? Is it helping somebody? Is it raising your prices? Is it doing, you know, something else? When you focus on that, and just zero in on that, and go. And, and I think that's how you kind of get over the that hump.
0: <laughs> no, I 100% agree. So. What was the second book about and why did you kind of decide to actually write a second book?
1: Yeah, so the second book was really, uh, it was called The New Brand You, which we can talk about that title and why, uh, why that title doesn't work in a minute because that's a good lesson for people. Um, Interesting. But uh, it was called The New Brand You and what, I, what it was was because we raised millions of dollars um, in our real estate business. So in 2008, I actually ended up quitting my job and going full-time into real estate and then I also started a real estate training and education company. Um, And and when you go all out in 2008 into real estate, when the banks don't believe in financing any sort of real estate investment whatsoever anywhere in North America, you have to find money to do your own deals. So we had to raise millions of dollars and and we ended up buying a house pretty much every single month for a lot of years. And and to do that, we had to raise a lot of money. And, and initially we did a lot of that by cold, like cold, like reaching out to our network and getting contacts and kind of warm, warm calling, if you will, to try to raise money, which was horrible, hated it. And my husband hated it. Uh, So we ended up, Building and that's how I built a brand. I, I was like, I gotta, I gotta get people coming to us. And so I just started building a brand, writing blogs, shooting videos, um, giving talks, and eventually writing my book. And bit by bit, money started coming to us. And even when we got a, a connection, a referral, um, it was way easier to raise the money because we had gigantic credibility. So that, all of that is what I put into the second book because people were like, that's what we ended up teaching everybody. People came to us for our training company. It was like, tell us how you're raising money. And so that's really what my second book is about, even though it's not specifically a real estate book, it's how I built the brand that raised millions of dollars and, and really uh, kind of changed how everything happened in both of our businesses, because we didn't have to sell anymore. People came to us and we decided if we wanted to work with them or not.
0: Interesting. No, that's, that's quite fascinating. So what made you decide to start book launchers?
1: Yeah. So there's kind of two driving factors behind this. So um, I kind of knew for quite a few years, I was all real estate all the time. And I like real estate's solid, we're still invested. And I think it's a fantastic vehicle um, for retirement and backup plans and financial comfort. Um, But I don't love it. Uh, It's, you know, it was it was always something I was doing to give myself financial security. It wasn't really meant to be the thing I do every day. So for quite a few years, I was kind of like, eh, there's got to be something else. So it's kind of going on in the background. In the meantime, because of the success of my books, uh, people were constantly coming to me wanting coaching and support. So I helped people who had book deals as well, like traditional book deals, as well as people who were self-publishing. I helped them with every step in the background, on the side, not for, I wasn't getting paid. I was just doing it for friends and and colleagues that needed help. And, and I love that. I was having so much fun doing it. That's why I didn't mind doing it, not getting paid for it. In the meantime, I'm running two businesses. So I'm like full out. And, uh, and then my husband got into acting and he he started pursuing an acting career and they are, the story does come to a head here. Uh, so, So well, I'm kind of working on these books, and he's pursuing acting, we're stepping away from our real estate training company. And I'm going, I need to do something else, something new, because if you're not fully invested in the real estate training company, I don't want to do it alone. Uh, And so I kind of went, I need to help people with publishing books. But I knew I didn't want to coach and teach them. I wanted to do it for them or do a lot of it for them because I knew myself from myself doing it that it was a gigantic effort to do it all myself. I hired people, but even just hiring all those people was such a pain, um, vetting them and then hiring the wrong people and having to hire somebody new and pay somebody new to do something over. I thought I just need to have the perfect team to work with people like me and help them publish their book and then help them market it at the end because companies do all, there's all companies in the middle doing all the different pieces, but there really weren't very many companies coming at it from a, what's your goal? Let's help you create a book. That's going to help you achieve the goal at the end. And by the way, we're going to help you get those speaking gigs. We're going to help you land those podcast interviews. We're going to help you do all those things you need to do to get your book out there.
0: Interesting. Okay. So how did you go about kind of actually launching this and actually going from kind of doing this for free to creating a business around it? (laughs) because uh, you know, <laughs> that's a tricky transition it,
1: it is a tricky transition and part of what made it difficult and better at the same time is I moved so we okay. uh while my husband was building his acting career in Vancouver he really started to see that the best parts all audition out of Los Angeles and sure. and, and he and he also really loves comedy and there's almost no comedy filming in Vancouver there's a decent oh, improv scene but they don't really, there's just not a lot of comedy. So if you want a comedic role, you're going to get a commercial. That's basically
0: I got you. what you're okay. getting in
1: Vancouver. So I could see that he really wasn't going to get the career that he wanted in, in Vancouver. So I said, look, let's just move to Los Angeles. Um, okay. you know, <laughs> let's just uproot ourselves and move. Uh, and, and it was for him, but for me, it actually was a great thing because in Canada, I have known in real estate, right? Like people just know right. me as a real estate person. So uh, moving to Los Angeles gave me the opportunity to kind of set up shop and go, Hey, I'm Julie, the book broad, right? Like,
0: <laughs> I got you. Interesting. And, and people yeah. Don't
1: know me here. So it gave me an easier opportunity because I was trying to kind of start something new. In Canada, and everybody just wanted to talk real estate. Um, so this that helped me. I mean, it made things gigantically challenging because we also had a baby at the same time as all this. Um, oh wow! But yeah, it made things gigantically challenging because we're moving to a new country, having to set up all the stuff in a new country. But it had the advantage of nobody knows me.
0: Interesting. Okay, so how did you go about getting kind of your first few clients um, in a new country that? you know, you don't, you're not as popular in.
1: Yeah. So that's also where a personal brand is phenomenal and, and building, being known as somebody who does what you say you're going to do and supports people no matter what. uh, That's really what saved me on that. So I had a great I had a great list of people. And and while they know me as a real estate investor, you know, many of them have followed me and followed my journey for, you know, eight, 10 years. So when I put up a flag and said, this is what I'm going to do, they knew about the success of my previous books. And they also know, Uh. you know, know my credibility and know my integrity. So, you know, I had my first 10 clients were people that knew me as real estate, knew me in the real estate space, but also knew that, you know, when I say I'm going to do something, I go and do it. And, you know, maybe Maybe I won't do it perfect the first time, but I'm going to do right by every single person. And that's kind of the words that people use when they said, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll be one of your first clients. Um, and, and so, yeah, the first 10 people that joined with us were all people that knew me previously. So that helped, right? Having that existing brand, uh, even if it had nothing to do with what I'm doing, you know, that's that really got me going so that when I went to that perfect stranger, I didn't say you're my first client.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting. No, that's that's interesting. I, I think that's actually really good advice. So how do you um, work, let's say like I come to you and how do you work with me to actually create a book? Yeah,
1: so it depends. I mean, first conversation we have, I'm going to try to understand what your goal is for writing a book and who your audience is. And I want to try to figure that out. Um, and, and, and so this is where I, I do turn a few people away because they aren't real. They're just like, I just want to write a book. Well, okay. You know, why and what is it going to do for you? And a lot of people go, well, I want to help people. And and that's just not enough. Um, your book won't be successful because you're going to, it's going to be rough. Like there's going to be, when you get your edits back and you, like you think your book's done, right? The first draft's done. And then the editor comes back with probably 50 questions and, you know, more read than you've ever seen in one document in your life. <laughs> you're going to go like, I suck. Nobody's going to care. Should I do this at all? Like, why am I bothering to do this? Like almost all of our clients go through some version of that. And sure. if your why is to help people, you're going to give up. So you have to have a bigger why. And, and for a lot of people, you know, it, it's kind of a twofold why it's, you know, I have, I've learned something, I've done something that will help or inspire or save people money or save them time. Um, and the other part is I know that by sharing this, people will pay me more for my consulting service. They'll use my product Um, even more, you know, Dave Asprey of uh, Bulletproof Coffee, he said that people who read one of his two books uh, buy two times as much product from them as people who haven't read one of his books. So it sells products, it sells services, it is lead expander, it gets you on media, it gets you on speaking, uh, gets you on stage. So if you come to me and say, I want to be a paid professional speaker, um, you know, I have a message that's going to inspire people awesome. That's perfect. Like there's so much we can work with. Now I got to figure out who you're targeting. Um, and how we're going to help you get it there. But that's what we need to start the book. And then we're going to send you off to work with our one of our writing coaches, uh, and they'll help you craft an outline and a hook for your book. Um, and, and because I'm in L.A., I ended up hiring a lot of people who are Hollywood-based, which makes for phenomenal book ideas. And I, I didn't do this on purpose. I'd love to say that I did this on purpose, but it's just who I who I thought was great for the job and hired. But the, because they have Hollywood experience, um, one, of our, one of our – coaches actually turned a computer book into a seven-year running TV series that he starred and wrote um, for seven years. Um, And he comes at things and he's like, you know, this doesn't create curiosity, but what if you did this. And so it's really cool because he turns boring subjects into stuff that people are going to talk about and are going to share and and, and care about. So, so yeah, that's where it starts. And then we work with you to either, um, we have a ghostwriter who will write it for you, or if you want to write it yourself, we have coaches who will coach you through it. And support you um through writing it even if you're you know not a great writer a lot of our clients actually speak out they, they get the outline and they they talk it out get it transcribed um, and then our editors kind of massage it from there um, but yeah that's that's how it all starts
0: interesting uh, and how long does it roughly take um I, I get that there's a million factors in there but kind of on average is it like months is it a couple of years how how long does it kind of take for me to actually go from kind of contact to actually holding, you know, either the physical copy or the digital copy,
1: yeah, I mean it's it, it really does vary uh, even more than I expected. Um, but it's okay. looking, it's it's lining up to be somewhere between nine to fifteen months for okay. those people. Book length, your dedication, how many hours you put towards it, how you handle sure. that slump after it comes back from edit. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. Those are all Fair enough. those are all factors. Um, obviously if a ghostwriter writes it, it goes way faster because sure. they're writing it, not you. Um, but yeah, it it does vary. But nine to fifteen months is a pretty good uh, framework. And that also includes time leading up to the launch because a lot of people, and this is a mistake a lot of people make when they self-publish, their book is done and they load it up to Amazon like the next day. And, okay. and you can, you can do that. Like it's actually physically possible. The problem is it gives you no time to get review copies, to line up, inter, to line up your media, to line up speaking engagements, to line up promotions, um, to line up momentum around your launch. So we generally like to allow six weeks to even three months um, to get it okay. all ready. And if you're in Canada, we would say you need, three, we need, you need four to six weeks minimum because otherwise it's only going to be available on amazon.com and, and most of your buyers are going to, be wanting to find it in chapters or on Amazon.ca. So, international sure. distribution takes longer. So, you, you basically are forced to wait, anyways.
0: Interesting. Okay. And then, roughly, what's the cost? Because it's got to depend whether I write it myself or get you, uh, Ghostwriter, to write it or kind of a combination of a bunch of things. But is there kind of an, a base? time is starting that it's at least going to cost me? Yeah.
1: So we're, we're set up differently than I think pretty much anybody else in the industry, whereas we're a membership based company. So as long as you're a member, one of our professionals works on your book, it means the faster you go, the cheaper it's going to be. Um, but basically I did it that way. So you had maximum flexibility. So you can come to us with a finished manuscript. You can come to us with an idea and we can help you, you know, you can kind of come to us in any phase. Um, so that right now, is uh, $699 a month. Um, okay. And like I said, it's about nine to 15 months. So it works out really quite affordably, uh, especially if you've started to price out all the professionals that you hire. Like I said at the beginning, you know, my first book, I spent $12,800 to hire mm-hmm. all the people to have a book that was the same quality as a traditional published book. So it's it's really great value. And I say I say right now, because I don't know when people are going to listen to this, but we're definitely sure. raising prices because we're 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 not we're not generating enough revenue for the costs that we have on the back end, because it is so expensive to have really awesome people working on sure. a book. Um, but yeah, ghostwriting is an add on, but otherwise everything is included. Um, and ghostwriting it depends on what you want. Like we have what we call a writing assist package, so somebody can just write part of your book, or um, you know write thirty thousand up to thirty thousand words for you, and so that's a six thousand dollar add on package. Uh, which a lot of our clients love because they can, they, they have material already existing on their blog. And so they can give it to the ghostwriter and the ghostwriter for a pretty low cost can turn it into a full fledged book. Um, and then we have full on ghostwriting packages where they'll interview people for you. They'll interview you and they'll write your entire, you know, 50, 60,000 word book.
0: Interesting. Okay. No, that's, that's quite fascinating. So you mentioned kind of about, um, promotion and kind of launch how do you kind of work with somebody to actually help them kind of promote and launch their book
1: yeah for sure so it does depend on the goal so again that's kind of where we focus in on what you're trying to do but um with people on our team who are going to help you kind of figure out what where you're going to get the best bang for your buck because there's a hundred ways to market your book, but you know, it's the 80 20 rule. There is sure. kind of 20% of the activities that are going to generate 80% of the results. And, and that's really what I found for my, my book, you know, actually almost 90% of the results came from just my, my network and really leaning on my network strongly. Um, but we have people on the team who, uh, one of the people on my team, she, she's worked as a speakers agent, um, booking people for 10 years. And and her previous job was working just for one author managing his speaking career. And she booked him for two. I think she said he was on the road for 270 days last year. Uh, And so that like she pitches, she's really good at getting, Uh, getting people speaking gigs as well as pitching them for media and podcast interviews because that's what she's been doing for the last 14 years Uh, and so that's we'll partner you with her and she'll do uh, you know depending on how how we work together she'll do up to 10 pitches a month uh, or more if you want to upgrade into you know like a full-on like I want you to be my agency type arrangement Um, but most of our clients are going to plan the launch we'll launch we'll get everything set up social media wise on your Goodreads. we've got copywriters who write all a copy we help you plan a launch party uh, and then we will go out and we'll try and get you these speaking gigs these podcast uh, bookings media attention all these kind of things uh, to help you with launch but not everybody is a good fit for speaking gig, gigs so we might pursue a different kind of angle for you depending on on who you want to get your book in front of
0: Sure so if I have a book already done, can I basically use the back half of your platform to kind of help me kind of just promote or maybe kind of, Put a little bit of maybe customizations into the book, or 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 do I kind of have to come in at the beginning or the pretty early stages?
1: Yeah, we we prefer you to be earlier stages, just because a lot okay. of people haven't thought about the marketing when they're developing their book. So a lot of people come to us with finished books that are very difficult to market um, because they've missed some really key things that would have made it good to market. Um, that said, you know, somebody who comes to us with a finished book but they're open to changes, we definitely will work with them, um, and we we have we. Have have taken on a couple of people with finished books um, because they just, they just didn't do the basics around marketing, but the book was solid. So it's kind of a long answer to say, it depends on your book. Um, if, sure. Cause I'm not going to, it's kind of what I figured yeah, to be honest. Yeah. I'm not going to take on a client that I don't think we can make them really, really happy because we're still a new company. And the most important, and even when I'm an even when I've been around for 10 years, this is what, all I'm going to care about is creating massive success stories. So people tell others about us, right? <laughs>
0: No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and you're right, like some people aren't open to kind of that constructive feedback to actually make it successful, right? And if you're not open to that, there's no point in you working with them.
1: Exactly. And I mean, one of the client, one of the people that came to us that I turned away, his book had the same title as eight other books. He wrote it under a pen name and he didn't want anybody he knew to knew he'd, to know he had written the book.
0: So oh, interesting! I was
1: kind of like, well, everything we do to help you market the book kind of relies on at least two of three of those things to be in place. Um, you know, sure. we need a better title, a phenomenal title that will, you know, we can almost use to market it itself without using you. Or you need to be able to tell people you know that you've written it, or use your real name so we can leverage off you know, who you are, Um, and so he wasn't willing to change any of those three things, so I just said, you know, I'm sorry, like, we're not going to have much success for you, Um, you know, running Amazon ads isn't going to do anything if you don't have reviews, and you don't have, you know, things to back up your book already.
0: So you just did a writer's retreat. What exactly did you do, and, and why did you decide to do it?
1: Yeah, so I did it primarily because we had a few clients who were struggling to get their books done okay. and even send us any kind of words at all. And, and so I kind of said, well, what's going on? And it all came down to, you know, just life and business was not giving them any time to focus. So I said, okay, well, if I create somewhere that you'll come right, you know, will you come? And so that was really the driving reason behind it. But I invited people who weren't clients too. Uh, and Really, it was cool because in two days, people wrote an average of 8,500 words and a wow. few people wrote 11,000 words. So that's kind of like writing a quarter of a book in two days.
0: That's crazy. That's a lot. Of, yeah, that's that. Well, that's great, but that's a lot.
1: Yeah, it was wild. But I took people's phones away. So that incited a lot of panic. But
0: <laughs> Sure, I can imagine. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I think that's also why they got so much done. Um, but one of the fun things was, um, have you have you heard of William Hung? You know who he is?
0: Yeah, the American Idol guy, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. So he he's he's one of our clients, and uh, and it was it was funny because he was he's exactly like you know if you've seen him on TV, he's exactly like that in person. And, and he was, he kind of inspired everybody in the room, which I think also brought out a lot of, you know, good writing because he was the first one to volunteer. Nobody wanted to tell anybody else what their book was about. Nobody wanted to share their outline. But this guy has no fear, which is how you can audition for, you know, American Idol because you're like, hey, I want, this sounds like fun. I, I want a career as a singer and I'm going to audition for, for American Idol uh, and, and still be nice about it at the end when Simon Cowell makes fun of you, sure. um, you know. And so he was always the first one to go, hey, here's my outline. Hey, here's my idea. Hey, here's this. And just no fear at all. Uh, and I think that also, you know, having somebody in the room that, that is like that really inspires people. So uh, that was kind of fun. I, I had to share that part.
0: <laughs> no, I. but I, I think that's that's true. I, I think with a lot of people, it's scary putting content out there to your family, friends, complete strangers. So it it makes sense. Like, I think it's even scary to sit behind a computer and post something online, never mind being in a room with people and say, hey, I want to, this is what I'm going to write about, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, you look, you're looking people in the eye as you tell them the idea for your book, and that like, there's no way to, like, most people aren't going to be able to hide the fact that they think your idea sucks, if that is the case. Sure. So, so yeah, so it was great to have somebody like him go first, and, and share what he was going to write about, and. And uh, and then, of course, everybody had to ask him about all his adventures. <laughs>
0: sure. Yeah, fair enough.
1: But yeah, it, I, so, so I think it's really important. And I think that's kind of a g- generic or like a specific story just to, to have a generic lesson. And that's try to surround yourself with people who will inspire you to share your message and also be honest about how your message could be stronger. Um, because that's really what happened in that room is, is people then believed in their message and it was easier to write it because after they shared it, you know, nobody in the room had a bad idea, but everybody's idea could be improved upon. Sure. And so, and as we worked on their ideas, people could really see how this was, other people were going to like it, how other people were going to care about it, how it was, it was in fact unique because a lot of people think, oh, there's already been, you know, a hundred books in my space or a thousand books in my space, like why, why should I bother writing it? But when you talk about it and you get that unique idea that makes you just that little bit different and and makes it like okay people actually do need to hear my version of what's happened or how to do this then people are really inspired and i think it's kind of that combination of no phone (laughs) no internet and having that inspiration and belief in yourself that your idea is good and people need to hear it
0: interesting so did you have people basically writing on the, like just typing on the computer or were some people actually like handwriting it out or or how did that kind of work?
1: Yeah, we had one person who hand wrote it out, which I was, you know, I questioned that because now you have to yeah. type it. Like at some point it's got to get in the computer. Um, but, you know, she said, No, I, I write really, really fast. And she was one of the people who wrote 11 more than 11,000 words that weekend. Wow. Um, but but everybody else was on the computer. And, and one of the days they did have internet, um, you know, if they needed it for research. But one of the days I purposely made sure they could not access the internet, because I believe fully that, you know, you need to just focus and not have any interruptions or distractions and, uh, and write. And so yeah, but most people typed on the computer. There's a few people with iPads, yeah. you know, keyboards and iPads.
0: But yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, because anytime I well not anytime I write like any like blog posts or something, I'll either do it on my phone or on like a tablet. Like I can't, I find I can't focus very well if I'm on a computer a lot of the time, which is like weird, because I'm on a computer all day every day. But I don't know, it's slower. But I think I have to, like, before I write something, I have to think about it because it's such a nightmare to go back and kind of change your sentences if you're on, like, a tablet or something. And I don't use, like, a keyboard. Like, I use the on-screen keyboard. Oh, my goodness. So it's, like, (laughs) I tell people that. They just laugh. But, like, somehow it works for me. I edit it on, like, a real, like, on a laptop and then, you know, with a keyboard. But. But just when I get the first kind of draft down, I just like bang it out as quick as possible on like a tablet or phone.
1: And I think that's good. Like, you know what works for you. And I think a lot of people don't even play around with it, which is also kind of what we did. You know, we played around with like, you have to write for 12 minutes straight and you can't do anything else. And, you know, imagine Pac-Man's coming for every word as soon as you pause. Um, You know, we experimented with all kinds of ways and places and approaches, because I think that, you know, a lot of us just sit down at the computer and do what we always do and if you do what you've always done you're gonna get what you've always gotten right so sure. i think it's good that you change it up and you know what works for you and i think i encourage anybody listening to try to figure that out for themselves like where are you going to be able to get your best kind of focus work done
0: no i 100 percent agree with you that's that's quite fascinating so you've done a bunch of books now what advice do you kind of give people that are either kind of thinking about doing their own book
1: Ooh. Um, I think the most important thing is to know your goal Um, and, and not just, and I, and a lot of people say, well, I want to be a bestseller and, and that's, forgive me if this is you and you're thinking that, but that's a very ego driven goal. And and that's okay. You know, if you, if that is like all you care about, then, you know, more power to you, you can clearly set yourself up to become a bestseller. Um, But most people I'm like, okay, why? And a lot of times it comes back to, well, I need more credibility because I want to charge higher prices. I want to be a speaker. I want to be on a news station. I want my own TV show. Um, And and so now with that goal, you can actually really clearly focus your book in um, on the audience that is most likely to get you to that goal. And you're still writing your story and your spin, but you're more likely to achieve uh, the result you want when you start with a very clear goal.
0: Makes sense. Okay, so what about to people that are looking to maybe self-publish their book? Like, what advice do you kind of give them if they if they don't use uh, like a platform like you guys?
1: Yeah, I mean, you anybody can self-publish now, and it's it's the the greatest thing and the biggest challenge because a lot of people um, you can self-publish without any editing, without any professionals on your team, um, and you can put a book out there. But uh, the problem with doing that is that you know it does. It, you now have a crappy book out there. Yeah.
0: No fair. <laughs> so you
1: got to be. You have to invest in the right people, and I think if you, if, even if you're on a budget, you know, do whatever you have to do to get a professional cover and to get somebody with experience editing your book. Like a lot of people go, oh my, my wife is really good with details. Well, editing is a profession. Um, yeah. And there, you know, you would you wouldn't go to somebody who is really good with teeth. You'd go to a dentist, right? Yeah, yeah. So. No, you're right. You're
0: totally right. <laughs> that, that's actually a really good analogy. I never really thought of it like that, but you're right.
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, I think for a lot of people you can self publish and it's all like I have a phenomenal YouTube channel that will guide you through almost everything you need to do. It's booklaunchers.tv. Okay. Uh there's so many resources there. And so that actually walks you through, okay, do you want to use IngramSpark versus CreateSpace? You know, if you want to get it in bookstores, how do you do that? Do you want it in do you want it in libraries? So I have all that kind of stuff there. Um you don't need to work with a company like booklaunchers. The only reason to work with somebody like us is if you don't have a lot of time. Uh, and you're really trying to achieve a business goal with your book. And, and again, you need somebody else to do all the pieces for you so you can keep running your business or doing your profession and still get your book out there. Um, but you know, I, I self-published both my books and, and it's very doable. It's very possible, but I, I spent hundreds of hours to make it happen on top of the work that had to go into actually just writing the book.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. Um, it's it is a ton of work that I don't think people realize. No matter what way you go,
1: it is yeah. Even if you work with a company like us, and I always tell people this, like there's still going to be pain involved. Like I'm sure. going to make it as easy as possible, but like you know, like we talked about, when that first draft comes back from the editor, you're going to experience some sort of an emotional letdown. <laughs> yeah, oh fair
0: yeah yeah no fair <laughs> enough I yeah I. I actually, I, I can't remember what I told you. Like, I got asked a number of years ago to write a, a tech, like, kind of book um, by a publisher out of the yeah. UK. And
1: yeah.
0: I knew it was going to be a lot of work, but I did not realize it was going to be that much work. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And, like, it, I, I, I don't regret it. I, I actually think it was probably one of the best things I've ever done. But I, I think just to kind of stress that again, like, to people that, like... It's totally doable you should do it if that's kind of your passion but it is a ton of work and you're right like they send back an edit and you're just like oh wow maybe I should just quit but it, <laughs> yeah like it's it's an it's an emotional kind of roller coaster it, it is and
1: so that's and if you know you're gonna need support through all of that yeah. that's where a company like book launchers comes in um because there are two different camps it's kind of like real estate investing Like, there's people that are going to do everything themselves, and there's other people that are going to hire the people to go in and fix the toilets and paint their houses and, you know, all those pieces. And and I am that person who wants to hire people who are better at it than me that, you know, so I can go do the things I'm good at while they do the things that they're good at. Totally. You know, the people like me, you should hire book launchers. But if you're one of those people who likes to go figure out all the pieces and do it yourself, you can do it yourself for sure.
0: No, I, I think that's that's actually really good advice to people. I, I think that the trick with some of this stuff is you just really need to see what works for you, right? And I think it makes a lot of sense, though, especially for people that are busy to use you guys because it, it's it's a ton of work and you don't like. I think people don't understand how much time and effort that they will kind of spend on it, right? And and just like trial and erroring stuff too, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, trying. Like I said, hiring people and then and then finding out halfway through you hired the wrong person. That happens yeah, all the time. Sure. Uh, and you you still pay that person for their their mediocre work that didn't work for you in most cases, and then you've wasted all that time too. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of things. Plus, even just little decisions. And this is some of the stuff that's on my YouTube channel. Uh, you know, I checked. I I didn't check a box in uploading my book um, for it to be available in bookstores. And I by missing that check box. I I missed out on distribution in the whole province of Alberta um, in the bookstores. And also another box that I checked uh, wrongly, uh, it cost me $1,200 in returned books. So there's little mistakes. And and that's with me researching, like, you know, dozens of hours trying to figure out how to do this. And I still made mistakes. Um, So yeah, there's a lot of little pieces that, like you said, you just don't know it until you're deep into it. And you're going, oh my goodness, like, how do I do this? What do I do? Uh, yeah, it, it, I think it's a pain in the butt.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, fair enough. Um, but we're coming to the end of the show, so let's maybe close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and Book Launchers.
1: Yeah, you bet. So I already mentioned my YouTube channel, so for, for all you do-it-yourselfers or people who just want to learn more, I have lots of great videos there. I have new videos every Friday, so booklaunchers.tv. Uh, and then my website, booklaunchers.com. And I highly recommend people... Uh, Check out, we have a game plan on eight ways to sell a 1,000 books for under a $100, which are, in fact, the ways that I use to bring my book to number one and my second book into the top 100. Uh, And you can get that at booklaunchers.com forward slash game plan.
0: Perfect, Julie. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day.
1: Yeah, you too. Thanks, Kevin.
0: Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. To join the free community, buy some merch, sponsor the show, or sign up for the newsletter, please visit the website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. And keep building the future.